0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly.
1: There's a ball ripped into center field. This one is going back. Norman to the wall. Looks up. It's a grand slam. And the Huskers strike first here in Iowa City.
0: Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin.
2: I I literally could have picked opposite every game in the bracket and done almost as well in the action of the tournament to this point in time. Not quite, but darn close. Ben, if you put your faith in the Big Ten and the Big 12... Your bracket is just is like one big check mark right now. A bunch of X's
1: all over the place. Yeah, more red on that than the Memorial Stadium on a game day Saturday. <laughs> Pretty rough. Yeah. Goodness
2: gracious, um, man! What a tournament, and what a what a bad weekend for Big Ten basketball. Honestly, I mean, you, Illinois, a number one started earlier in the weekend with Ohio State going down. The two C getting beat by Oral Roberts. And what a run by Oral Roberts. I mean, this is a team that finished fourth in the Summit League in the regular season and then got hot won their tournament, and now they're in the Sweet 16. It's a great story. Oral Roberts has a little bit of history in college basketball going back 50, 60 years ago. I think that was their first win in the tournament since 1970 or 71 when they beat Ohio State on Friday. So the Buckeyes, the first of the big boys to fall, and then yesterday Illinois gets clipped by Loyola Chicago, and so um, yeah, it's, it's and then Iowa loses earlier today. I mean we're down to two teams: Michigan, who will play here in about ten minutes; they tip their game off with LSU, and then Maryland plays later tonight. They'll have their hands full as they'll tangle with the two seed Alabama. But Pat, it does it doesn't matter, Ben? I mean, does it matter that the Big Ten didn't do well
1: as, as it relates to? the future of Nebraska's program. In, in, in that area, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I don't get a sense that it, that it has any implication on whether it's going to make Nebraska's run easier, tougher. I, I, I don't see that being a, a problem. Now, nationally, I, I think it does matter. I think that that this boat does carry some water um, just because of there was a lot of talk about how many teams got in, first of all and a, a lot of talk coming from people in the midwestern part of the United States and the east coast about this not just being the best conference in basketball this year but potentially the best conference season ever from anybody and let's just say that they have not backed it up I mean Iowa got boat race today we, we haven't talked about Rutgers yet, yeah, they were a ten seed, but they completely melted down yesterday. They were up mm-hmm. seven with under four minutes to play, and just made that game disappear. Um, Ohio State's debacle against Oral Roberts, uh, I mean Purdue. Illinois, and 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 here's the deal: Loyola Chicago, it, it's not like they made f- f- you know eighty percent of their threes, or Ohio State just turned the ball over thirty times. Loyola Chicago was the better basketball team against Illinois like they were just flat better in all areas They outplayed them on both ends of the floor If, if, if you know you brought somebody over from Europe and they do nothing about college basketball But they knew the sport and you plopped them down that they, they wouldn't have any idea who, who was supposed to win that game And then they probably would have told you Loyola was just, just on how well that they played so it's not like this is fluky stuff that's happening this is i mean it's real that's it's happened you know oregon basically gets a buy into the second round and i mean obviously it helped them because iowa had no chance in that game today rutgers melted away as, as we talked about and um just disappointing performance after disappointing performance and you know for the league i'm not hanging my hat on michigan without livers and a really athletic lsu team I I'd be kind of surprised if Michigan made it out of the game tonight. Um, they're, They're probably the team that I was the least high on entering the tournament, yet here we are. There's a real possibility
2: by the end of tonight, which will set the Sweet 16, that there is nobody left from the Big Ten Conference. Nobody would have expected that five days ago. But that's the the reality. Maryland's a big dog tonight. They could win. I mean, they could. Mark Turgeon's a heck of a coach. They've got solid players. They could, I guess, trip up Alabama, but they're not favored to do so. Michigan's a slight favorite, but I'm with you without livers. I think they're a different kind of a team. It, it adds salt to the wound when the team that beats you then face plants in the next round, right? I mean, that's where I think Ohio State can go, oh, we just hit a hot team. And and that could be right because royal Robertson turned around and chopped their way, getting by Florida last night, and they're into the Sweet 16. But Purdue loses to North Texas, who then turns around and just gets slammed by Villanova last night. Texas loses to Abilene Christian, and Abilene Christian's down, what is it now, 20-plus points to UCLA. So I think it's that even adds a little bit more salt to the wound is when the team that beat you then just doesn't even show up the next round, and you're like, you couldn't beat that team?
1: Yeah, and that to me is where the upsets are overrated. You know, it's 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 cute when a team like that wins, right? <laughs> and and they and they beat they beat a really good team. But then what are we stuck watching with most of the time? We're watching right. these games right now where teams are just getting run out of the gym. Now, when you've got a legit-looking basketball team, I'll go back to Loyola Chicago. They were an 8-9 yeah. I don't know that that's just a cute little basketball team Greg. that team looks legit. They look like they can hang with about anybody. so I think that that team you know gets me a little more excited but you know the old the old cliche it's not about it's not about the size of the dog of the fight it's the size of the fight and the dog. Uh, it's clear that Abilene Christians just they're they're so undersized you know, the, the fact that they beat Texas and look, they, they executed what they wanted to do flawlessly in the last half of that second half against the Longhorns. They took the shot clock down to three seconds every time down the floor. They were getting steals. Texas could not throw it in the ocean, and they were getting every rebound. I mean, it was the perfect recipe for an upset like that, but you just knew that they weren't going to be able to sustain that type of play throughout a tournament. I mean, it took a lot of circumstances for that style of play to work out, um, and it did. It worked out for them. They beat Texas, fair and square. Tip of the cap to them. Fifty-eight a, percent a foul shooter, knocked knocked home both free throws with under two seconds to go. They they did it. They earned it. And you tip your cap to them. But uh, I'm also of the mindset where you know I would love to see some of the some of the nation's best teams that were ranked in the top ten, top twenty all year play play each other. I, I just I just want to see that that high caliber basketball where you know. We're getting, you know, take it, for instance, that Colgate, Arkansas game. Colgate had the hogs on the ropes for six, you know, 36 of the 40 minutes of that game. But I'm glad Arkansas won because we're starting to see a really competitive second round and we're going to see a competitive Sweet 16 matchup. And you're starting to see, you know, teams that were really good all year, you know, having to earn their way into the next round. So upsets are fun. I love when I love the craziness that happens, but a lot of times they're just not able to withstand that level of play for another 40 minutes or another 40 minutes after that, and we're left with these clunkers that we're watching today. Yeah,
2: Abilene Christian is down 67-45 with a minute 19 to go. So down 22 to UCLA has been a surprise. The Pac-12 has been the story of this tournament. They are undefeated in this tournament. And think about how much of a punching bag that league has been for a couple of years. Well, they're making people shut up a little bit here with their performance out of the gate in this tournament. You look at the Midwest region. There are four teams left in the Midwest region. One of these four teams is going to make the Final Four. Loyola, Oregon State, Syracuse,
1: or Houston. One of those four will be in the final four in two weeks. How about that? Well, and think about it, and I'm going to go back to Rutgers. You know, imagine if Rutgers hadn't melted that game away. Th- right. th- then then the two seed's out and the ten seed's in. I mean, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's crazy. I'm glad you brought up Oregon State. You know, you mentioned the Pac-12. Oregon State was picked dead last, yeah, by the media in the Pac-12 this year. Dead last. They go on an absolute crazy run in the Pac-12. Um, they made or- they made Oklahoma State look like a really undisciplined team last night. They, I mean, they, Okie State was just kind of running around playing wreck ball. Uh, you know, Cunningham Cunningham just could, couldn't do it by himself, and I think he was scared to let other players on his team help him out. Uh, I don't know that there was a lot of trust happening there, but you've got to give a lot of credit to Oregon State for the way that, not only through this tournament, but for their run in the Pac-12 tournament. It's just crazy how how they've got here. But, yeah, I mean, that's another team that's playing at a pretty high level right now. Sure are, and uh, they've earned their
2: way into the second weekend of the tournament with what they did, and that is the end of the Cade Cunningham era at Oklahoma State. He was a one and done. He's gone. He may be the number one pick in the NBA draft come uh, this summer. Uh, speaking of Michigan, they're down early, eight to two to LSU. So you may be a profit on that. Long, long, long way to go, but they are. Uh, the Wolverines are down by six points. Delighted to be joined now by our very own Jeremiah Searles whose life has changed a little bit in the last week. What do you got going on there? Hey, well, it's good to be back, first of all. But, yeah, man, we got our addition
3: of our baby girl who came on St. Patrick's Day last week. Aylen James Searles graced us with her presence at 1228, which my wife was fighting the St. Patrick's Day, but just by uh, just missed it by 28 minutes.
2: Fantastic. Well, congratulations. I hope mama and baby girl are doing well.
3: They are. They're doing great. Um, I probably sleep in eighteen years ish. I'm guessing, but we'll get through it.
2: <laughs> you sure will. Uh, a long haul on that, but uh, well, it's good to have you on. We have not had you on in a little while. A couple of the uh, f- former Huskers now had a little media gathering today because tomorrow's a pro day. What do you remember about your pro day? Man, it seems like it was forever ago, and it kind of was. But it's <laughs> such
3: a it's such a buildup to get to that moment, especially this year. It's probably even more hyper, uh, hyper analyzed or everything because of no combine that you just, the second your senior season is done, this is the one thing that you're focusing on. It's the next piece of the puzzle of wanting to chase the NFL dream. And to get to this point, these guys have put in so much work. These guys have put in hours and hours of running the same drill over and over again, everything in that. It all leads up to about a two-hour window, and it's a lot of excitement, a lot of nerves, a lot of anxiousness, but it's so fulfilling when it's over and it's done with to just know, okay, put that behind me and i can start being a football player again instead of being a underwear olympics person
2: Brendan hymas offensive lineman is expected to be the highest husker drafted next month what do you like about him and how do you project him moving up to the next level
3: yeah, I think Brendan's got a lot of upside, especially at the next level, just looking at the way that his body of work, that's a huge thing in the NFL is scouts and GMs love looking at bodies of work, consistent play over numerous years, not just a one-year, one-hit wonder type of kid, but someone who's been a main staple at left tackle for four plus years and then he goes down to the senior bowl he plays some right tackle he plays some guard he shows his versatility and I think the thing that really sticks out is just how athletic he is he's a very athletic person and right now in the league you're looking for more and more athletic guys at offensive line because the defensive linemen are getting crazier and crazier and crazier as far as speed and strength and putting them together so I think he brings a lot of the whole package I can see him being with the fact of how small this year's draft is because of people opting in and COVID and all that, I could see him being a fourth-round pick, so I'm guessing the day three guy um, maybe fall a little later, but all it takes is one team to really fall in love with you.
2: Who else do you think has a shot in, in this group that will be going through testing tomorrow? Who, who else might be a fringe pick next month? You know, I think Boodle, depending how he runs tomorrow,
3: um, has a really good chance of getting drafted because he is a speedster. I think that he's going to show his speed, and if he can run really well, corners get drafted, safeties get drafted, DBs get drafted off of speed and that's because they understand that you can't coach speed. You can coach technique. You can coach all those things, but the NFL is a fast game. It's all about speed. And those guys can usually make a 53 man roster off of special teams, being the gunner on punt, jumping down on kickoff and making tackles, using that speed. So I think he's a guy they're going to look at, again, body of work, played a lot of football for Nebraska. and going to look at the NFL and say he can run and we want him on our team.
2: Again, visiting with our own Jeremiah Searles here on Sports Sunday on the Husker Sports Network. Tomorrow is pro day for the Huskers who are hoping to make, a, make it into the National Football League at the next level. Jeremiah, what will they exactly be doing tomorrow? What kind of circuit do they go through tomorrow?
3: So usually the way it worked when I was there, and most schools work it this way, is they all come in, they all weigh, the height, the weight, the hands, the arm length, all the official measurements take place right away. And then in the weight room, they'll do their broad. Or this is how again, this is how we did it when we were there. But you go through your broad jump, your vertical test, uh, your vertical jump, and then you also usually go into the bench press up on the top, or you wait to do the bench press at the end. But you do all the measurables first. So that's a big thing. I mean, everyone wants to know how big are Hymus's hands, how big are Farniak's hands, how long are their arms. And, again, a lot of number statistics. Then you'll go down on the field. You run your three-cone agility. You run your 40-yard dash, which everyone falls in love with. You run the L drill, which, again, this is all change of direction drills. And then the last one is usually you run a 60-yard shuttle, um, but that's usually just for the skinny kids. The fat kids don't have to run that one, luckily. And then you finish the day with position drills. So you finish it with the offensive line coaches, whoever runs that pod will run Hymus and Farniak through some position drills, pass protection, progressions, offensive run steps, and kind of seeing how they match with how they looked on tape when they can actually get their hands on them and hold a bag. Then you look at, like, Jack Stoll will go through some blocking, they'll run routes, then the DBs will go through, again, drills. And they kind of just put them all through drills. And what scouts are looking for at this point is – They know who these guys are on tape. They've watched hours of tape on certain guys. Now they want to see it in real life with their own eyes and see, does he bend the way we think he bends? Does he move? Can he shuffle his feet? How do his hips look? All those things that they can then calculate with their own eyes and see, does it match on tape? Does it raise their stock? Does it lower their stock? But so much of it is just guys that are teams that like certain guys want to make sure they get their own guys eyes on them so they can get a good report. Wow.
2: Wow. Sounds like quite a r- ringer that they'll be put through tomorrow. And I know this could be a little bit different tomorrow because of COVID and protocols and that type of thing, but who's generally th- in, there to help urge them on? Do they have their personal trainer? Is is, it, is Are they in attendance? Is their agent in attendance? Do they have family members there to root them on? What, what's that like?
3: So I know for us, no agents were allowed in. That was a Dobson rule. Um, I don't know if Coach Frost is the same way with that of agents being allowed in. I I bet you they're going to very much limit the amount of exposure of people coming into the building um, as far as that goes. But usually it's the strength coaches that are there to help kind of facilitate everything, make sure they're more of the organizers to orchestrate everything. And then usually they have – these scouts see each other every day throughout the month of March and April, right? They're at different pro days. So they they usually kind of rotate. Okay. The Carolina scout, you're going to do the offensive line guys this week and the Bengal scout, you're going to run the DBs today. And they kind of worked with you that. But as far as support people, usually your family can come if they want to. I know my family didn't come. They just kind of waited for me outside and I it's kind of just how I wanted it. But I think the less people there, the better, because it really is a job interview. And you don't necessarily bring your support system if you're going to go to a job interview uh, anywhere else. So you want to be locked in, focused, and then you can kind of debrief afterwards. But I think it really is better. I remember uh, all the players used to be able to come and sit up in the stands. And I like that when you have your peers there who have been through battle with you for four years, two years, three years. They're watching you and supporting you. But the less people there that aren't in a football background, I think is better
2: interesting great stuff Jeremiah Searles with us here on sports I mean, you mentioned the springs the, the strength staff um, the, the Huskers the current huskers wrapped up winter conditioning last week uh, critical time and now a little recovery week before spring ball begins next week were you a fan of this time of year did you or did you look forward to a little bit of a downtime before spring ball began what what remember what memories do you have?
3: Spring ball for me is cutting into two halves. As a young guy, you couldn't wait to get to spring ball. You wanted to get there and prove what you did all winter, what you did all season developing, and not make a push to lay the foundation to get into that two deep or get into that starter role as a young guy pushing um, your first few years. Your last two years, spring ball is the worst thing of all time (laughs) because it's like an extended fall camp with no season at the end of it. And so you get through it and you're like, okay, now I just get to go right into winter or summer conditioning, right? But so I think that for a lot of these guys, because of how young this team is, you're going to have a lot of hungry young players to prove themselves this spring and have a chance to really get after what they can do and show this staff that they want to be a part of what they're doing in the fall. I know Duvall and them have probably done a phenomenal job getting this crew ready to roll and getting this crew ready to go for spring ball. And now it's a chance to, start, like I said earlier, building that foundation as a player, as an offense, as a team, as a defense, special teams, and start the foundation for what fall camp will bring to really build up and amplify for the season.
2: I look at that offensive line, Jeremiah, I, th- I see three spots that I f- you, you feel like are kind of locked down. Ben Hart at right tackle. I think what we saw from Corcoran in the Rutgers game, he's got a, a leg up at left tackle. And then obviously Cam Jurgens is your center. But those two guard spots, there could be some pretty intense competition, I think, to be a starter along that group. Don't you?
3: Absolutely. I think that those two spots are absolutely up for guard. Obviously, Piper has a lot of the experience playing some last year. You got Hickson, who also has an entire year of starting two years ago. And then you've got some young guys. you got the transfer from CSU. Uh, Nomi, Nori, I think is how you say his last name. Yep. Um, he's a he's a guy that's going to have a chance. You've got a bunch of young players. And, again, that's kind of back to the spring ball aspect of young, hungry players that want to play. And you always get the spring ball favor, right? The guy that no one's talking about. No one even knows his name. And then all of a sudden, bam, he shows up ready to roll for spring ball. And he lights it on fire, a.k.a. Spencer Long of 2012, right? He just comes on the scene out of D-line guy that transferred over and all of a sudden, like, dude, this dude's going to be a great player for us. So I'm excited to see if maybe there's a guy in that group of Greg Austin and company that really gets things rolling in that regard, too.
2: I, I'm with you. I think the the competition's going to be intense. I think it's going to be fun to see those guys go compete and see who gets who's, who's left standing. And I'm not sure that it, it's locked in by the end of the spring. This may be something that plays out in August. I would maybe even anticipate that to happen at some of those spots. Jeremiah, we appreciate Absolutely. it. Congratulations congratulations to you and your bride and, and and the new addition to your family so happy for you how's your bracket did you put out a, put together a little basketball bracket or were you too busy i didn't i didn't i didn't get a chance to with everything happening here and i'm probably pretty glad i didn't
3: because i'm guessing <laughs> it would be as busted as the rest of the
2: countries. no doubt hey brother appreciate it take care of that little family of yours and we'll be in touch absolutely appreciate
3: you guys having me on go big
2: red Tonight, it's the Nebraska Baseball
0: Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network.
1: There's a ball ripped into center field. This one is going back. Norman to the wall, looks up, it's a grand slam, and the Huskers strike first here in Iowa City.
0: An in-depth look at the Nebraska baseball
2: program. The pitch. Fastball, that's hit down the left field line, and that is a fair ball headed to the corner. Rattles off the wall. Style scores. Roscomb digging for two. He's in there with a the double. And we are knotted at three here in Iowa City.
0: With the head coach, Will Bolt.
1: 3-2 pitch. This ball is drilled into left center field. Norman looking back, and he will watch this go. It's a three-run shot for Max Anderson. And the Huskers now increase their lead 11-4
0: sponsored in part by your midwest Ford dealers visit online at your midwest now here's your host of the nebraska baseball radio show the voice of the huskers greg sharp
2: well we're going to talk some ball with the head coach here in the next hour if you'd like to be a part of the program here are the numbers 531-50-4686. you can either call us or fire off a text using our U.S. cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Oscars, U.S. cellular connecting Husker Nation. Nebraska 7-4 and four after the series win in Iowa City over the weekend. Congratulations, Coach. It's never easy going over and playing a Rick Heller team. They're they're going to battle you tooth and nail, and I think that's what we had over the weekend. So you have to feel good at coming, coming out of there with a couple of wins.
4: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was a good weekend, and anytime you can go on the road and, and get a series win, especially after dropping the opener um, the way we did and, and being able to come back and respond and see a lot of fight and a lot of contributors uh, up and down the roster, that was uh, that was an encouraging sign there as well.
2: We kept talking on the broadcast about the windy conditions that you played Saturday, Sunday. How difficult was that, and what challenges was that for your team?
4: Yeah, I mean, that ballpark played about as offensive um, as any park I've I've been to in a while, just with the fast turf and um, just the wind blowing out, uh, where you basically get the ball up in the air, Um it's going to fly out of the park. So it, it definitely, you know, it also plays a, a factor in the, the infielders having to throw against the wind across the first base. Um, the, the, the sun wasn't as big a factor on Sunday, but on Saturday and Friday, uh, very clear skies and, and the sun was a major factor as well. So, you know, catching pop ups at times can be a bit of an adventure. So uh, you got to communicate really loud, just with the, with the wind and just make sure everybody can hear you. Um, there's just a lot of factors that go into it. it. It can beat you down at times as well when it's super windy like that. So you gotta, you got to stay mentally focused. So there's a lot of challenges that go along with it, and I was uh, very pleased with how our guys handled it.
2: Your, your team ERA going into the weekend was under three. It, it took a bump this weekend because of the conditions and that going up. But how did you feel like you did on the mound in the three games?
4: I mean, ironically enough, our best game on the mound was the game we lost. Um, you know, but again, the, like you said, the the conditions played a huge part, uh, a huge factor in it. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't I didn't feel like we threw enough strikes at times. Um, I think we've been a very good strike throwing team um, this year, and, and each guy that's taken the ball has done a really nice job um, of attacking the strike zone and pitching with conviction and, and confidence and and all the things you'd like to see um, when a guy takes the the ball and it just you know there was definitely some um, I think maybe just some tentativeness at times just with knowing that if you throw the ball over the plate and the guy hits the ball it's got a shot to get out of the yard um, but you know we, what we try to tell him is that, like, we can handle the solo shots it's when you hit a batter and then give up a two or three run homer or walk, you know, that those are things that are hard to overcome. So um, we'd like to have seen a few more strikes at times, but, but overall um, I think, I mean, we've used 15 or 16 guys on the mound already at this point, and And each one of them has done a very nice job um, at some point or another in the season.
2: You It was the first weekend you didn't play four. You only played three. And without the midweeks this year because of the pandemic, you're having to manage that a little bit differently. Did you find yourself thinking a little differently during the weekend knowing you didn't have that fourth game to play?
4: Yeah, I mean, you definitely – when you plan for the four-game weekends with the pitching, uh, with a doubleheader day, there's definitely a lot more strategy that goes into it as far as trying to make sure you don't leave yourself short um, on certain days. So I think there's a bit, a bit of that with the three-game weekend versus the four. Um, so, you know, just your pitching the way it lines up and, and those things. And we obviously had buns uh, in the bullpen uh, for the first time this year, and, and I thought he, he gave us a nice hold there doing that. So there's definitely some different things that come into it with a three-game weekend versus a four, uh, mainly just that the pitching strategy is, is what's involved there.
2: You mentioned Jake Buns, He's been your fourth starter, and, and I know you didn't want to go through the weekend without him stepping up on the mound. So he got that one inning. Has to be a little different for him, right, to come into a game. And I think he came in with a with, – was there somebody already on base when he came in? I can't remember if that was – but just to get himself ready in a little bit quicker fashion than he would if he knew he was starting a game.
4: Yeah. I mean, he's definitely, and he's been a starter. Um, He was a starter in junior college. Um, He's been a starter here. We've we've put him in a situation where we've tried to build his pitch count up to, you know, 75 pitches or so up to this point. So him coming out of the bullpen was something new for him and you really wouldn't have known any different. I I think um, Jake, when he's going good as a guy that pitches off adrenaline and, and fire and competitiveness and, I could see that look in his eye when I gave him the ball, that he was going to get on attack mode. And his fastball, it's tough to hit. It's tough to see him. He's a big, long-levered guy, and it gets downhill on you pretty quickly. Um, but when he's pitching with that type of conviction, the fastball just really plays up. Even though, you know, it, it's going to be 93, maybe even 94 at times, it just it gets on the hitters. And uh, I thought he he had nice attack, and he, he, like I said, he gave us a nice hold in that spot.
2: Buckle up and put the phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. It's our Husker Baseball show for the week. The head coach, Will Bolt, with us. 531-500-4686, The number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire off a text. Huskers coming off a 13-8 win yesterday. You put 10 on the board Saturday, 13 on the board yesterday. But the previous two games with Iowa, it was tough. You only scored one in the Sunday game and then got shut out on Friday did the approach change? I mean, obviously the conditions changed with the wind, but what did you see maybe different from Sunday-Friday to what you did on Saturday and Sunday?
4: Well, I think there was a, a few factors involved there. We we had a few personnel changes um, starting on, on Saturday. I definitely think the mindset flipped um, a little bit, uh, just more ready to hit. Um, the, I thought that both the pitchers – that we faced for the second time in two weeks, their stuff was equally as good as it was the week before. We just had a better mindset and a better approach and and just a more aggressive um, mentality going to the plate. And it's funny when you do that, you end up usually taking borderline pitches uh, and when you take aggressive swings, you tend to maybe make the pitcher nibble a little bit more. So you, by virtue of being more aggressive, you usually actually get more walks out of the deal. I know that may sound backwards, but, um, you know, when you go up there a little more tentative, the pitcher can kind of pick on you. You're going to foul balls off. Uh, you're going to end up chasing more because you get more anxious as the at-bat goes along. So I think it was just a combination of things. We, You know, some different personnel in there. Uh, maybe gave us a little bit more competitive at bats at times, um, less empty at bats, but also just a mindset flip for the team. Um, they didn't like the, the the taste they had in their mouth of of getting shut down offensively because we know we're a pretty good offense, and uh, you know they wanted to do something about it, and they did.
2: One of those personnel tweaks you made between Friday and Saturday was Cam Chick was put into that lineup, and boy, did he respond for you? What'd you What'd you see from Cam over the weekend?
4: Yeah, Cam let the game come to him. Uh, You know, he has some of the best bat speed on the team. He can get to 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Um, You know, he just at times gets really amped up. He wants it so bad. He's just very competitive. Um, His heart is always in the right place. He's a very team-oriented player, uh, very versatile player for us. But. You know sometimes he just needs to um, let the game come to him a little bit more and and just use the entire field man when he uses the entire field as a hitter he is dangerous because he's got power from foul pole to foul pole, and we've seen that um of his home runs he's got one to straightaway left one to straightaway center and one to right right field this year so he's a very gifted hitter um just got to remind him that to let the game come to him and and uh you know, if we can get that consistent approach from him at the plate, he's very, very dangerous.
2: He may not look like the prototypical four-hole hitter, but the but the results were there, right, all weekend for him.
4: Yeah, and he's got he's got big-time pop in his bat, and that comes from strength and bat speed. And um, you know, he just he can really put a charge in the ball. And like I said, he can turn around anybody's fastball. Uh, he's just trusting himself that um, just let the ball. You will know, get to him at times, and when he's doing that, um, it is it's it's really good.
2: One of the early storylines for this team coach has been the the outstanding play from some of your freshman position players. Max Anderson, um, you, Jack Styles, done some great things. Bryce Matthews has had some big moments early in the year. You have to you have to like what you've seen out of that freshman group.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you look up and down college baseball, and most teams are playing almost exclusively upperclassmen Um, just with the the COVID year last year, guys returning. um, And certainly we have some very big contributors that are um, upperclassmen as well, but it is definitely a good, a good sign that we've had some freshmen that have come in. I think all, all those guys that you mentioned actually got a hit in their very first at bat. Um, So they didn't wait a long, wait, wait around long for that. They've, they've all had big moments as far as driving in some big runs um, they they have the right mentality, the right attitude uh, to have a chance to contribute right away, which you've seen. Um, guys just stay even keel. They're hard workers. Um, you know they've definitely they definitely made an impact immediately uh, on our team and on our roster. They're they're great teammates. Um, Matthews is a very versatile defender. We saw him finish the game at shortstop when Spencer saved the game on Saturday. He's obviously played second base for us. He could play pretty much anywhere on the infield. Jack Style, uh, he's only been playing first base for about, oh, four months now. And he wow. has just really transformed himself into – he's been a dynamic defender over there for us. Um, he's a high school shortstop, uh, great athlete, very flexible, um, has, has played great, had some big hits for us. And Max Anderson, I mean, just – coming right out of the shoots and finding barrel after barrel and hard outs. Uh, it's it's hard to find a place to pitch him because he can cover the whole plate. He can hit good fastballs, and, you know, he can stick his nose on good breaking balls as well. So those guys are, it, you know, the future looks bright with them, getting the experience this year, surrounded by a bunch of, of good upperclassmen. Um, and you definitely kind of want to have a good blend of that every year uh, if you want to be a consistent that, that's team year amazing. in and year out.
2: That coach, that's amazing on Jack's style, four months. What Nick and I were talking during the weekend about how we, we just love his footwork over there, that he gets himself in the right spot to receive a ball or whatever. And he, he he saved a couple of errors in that game a couple of those games over the weekend with digs that he made at first base.
4: Yeah, he like you said, his footwork is really, really good. He's worked really hard at it. Um, he's very flexible. Um which that certainly helps uh, and yeah he's just he's a big target I mean he's 6'3". Um, so yeah there's a, a lot of things to like over there.
2: It, it looks like of those three that Max is probably the most advanced at the plate right now. Talk, what kind of adjustments do you see him make during a game or during at-bats that, that encourage you for the future that he has?
4: Yeah, you can just you can tell he's got a knack for kind of feeling the, the situation and maybe what a pitcher's trying to do to set him up. Um, I, he just he's he's the thing he's able to do is he's able to flush a bad swing or a potential bad at bat and just move right on to the next pitch or the next at bat. I think that's really what makes him aside from just the physical gifts that he has, just the ability to to move on from pitch to pitch and at bat to at bat to to make those adjustments. That, that's really what he's, he can hang his hat on. And he, he can, you know he, like I said, he can hit the breaking ball. He can hit the high-velocity fastball. He likes to pitch down. He can handle the pitch get <laughs> a little bit elevated. Um, I, I just like the fact that he walks to the plate ready to sling the bat. Um, and, and he knows that if he's ready to do that and he's on time with the pitcher's best fastball, before he gets up there, he's going to set himself up to, to be able to put his body in position to hit everything else as well.
2: Got our first text for the coach. Dennis in Lincoln, coach, wants to know, he said, hey, congrats on winning this weekend. Have you gotten your batting order set, or are you still tweaking?
4: Well, I don't think you're ever necessarily just completely set um, on a batting order. Um, I, I like the way that it, I would like to keep Cam Chick in the four hole if he's going to continue to use the whole field. Uh, he's going to be a run producer there. Uh, Spencer is pretty entrenched in in the three hole. Um, I like Hallmark's dynamic game changing bunt game at the top with his base stealing ability. And uh, you know, so those, those guys are typically going to be top of the order type type hitters. And they're, they're probably going to be uh, entrenched there when they're in the lineup. And, and obviously Anderson's a run producer that's going to hit in the four and five. So other than that, I think it's just this year is such a unique year as well, where you don't have the midweek games, uh, you, you just don't have as big a sample size, and you, quite frankly, you just don't have the luxury of um, being super patient because each game is just so important. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we're just always going to be open to uh, trying to find the right combination on that particular day. And, uh, you know, is it going to be set every day? Well, in a perfect world, yes, but th- this, this last year has shown us that nothing's quite perfect.
2: No doubt. One of the changes you did make this weekend was you put you, you flipped Joe Acker from nine to one. Uh, your thought behind that, and, and how did he fare in in hitting leadoff for you this weekend?
4: Yeah. So we we'd obviously love to keep Joe in the nine hole. Uh, we felt like we needed to get some better at bats out of the leadoff spot, particularly to start the game, uh, just to to set the tone for the game and how how it's going to go. I I feel like Joe did a good job of when we moved him up there of getting on base early in the game, showing a good approach. Um, He, he still is going to get on base at a high, high clip. Um, I I thought he handled himself very well. I mean, he's a fifth year guy. He's seen a lot of college baseball. He's not going to get too flustered. Um, He's, he's going to give us a competitive at bat. Even if he gets out, even if he punches out very rarely, is it going to be a three or four pitch out, um, or very rarely is he going to put the ball in play weekly early in account. count. So he's just a veteran, mature hitter. Uh, I, I like what I saw from him in that spot. Um, and like I said, we'll continue to just make adjustments as needed um, with this year just being so unique, just playing on the weekends and, and all the games counting for the conference standings
2: john on our text line i just wanted to say to coach that was a great turnaround from the first time the team faced Davitt to the second time when he got chased out early in the game great job and you, you did address that earlier you didn't think david had bad stuff you just liked your guys approach a little bit better
4: yeah he was still running the fastball up to 94 uh with the slider and um we just yeah, I think you get a little information. Uh, obviously, the more you face a guy, and when you do, you face the same guy back-to-back weeks. Um, you certainly get maybe a quicker uh, chance to make some adjustments. So, yeah, I was I was pleased with our guys and how they were able to – because he – I mean, he shut us down uh, the first time that, that we faced him. And for us to – really, again, it just – I'll say it's all I'm blue in the face, but it just all boils down to the fastball. I mean, just being – being ready to hit that pitch just set us up to be able to hit some of the mistake breaking balls, um, which we just weren't able to capitalize on, uh, the first time we faced them.
2: Now the text, this is from Eric and Lincoln says, coach, I love the team's fire and energy for every home run hit steal, et cetera. The guys look like they're having fun and have no problem creating their own energy.
4: Yeah, that's a, that's a big point of emphasis, uh, I that's a I would say that's something I'd like uh teams to, that I've been associated with to to play with anyway but especially in a year like this where things are different um we haven't had many fans in the stands uh there's just a lot of excuses that can be made as to why you you know you're not ready to play you're not excited to play but I, we have great leadership I I just can't say enough about not only the captains that we have, but just guys that um have been around that are invested in Husker baseball that are sold out to their teammates i mean that that stuff just really shows up uh when when the rubber meets the road and you've gotta have some um show some grit to come back and win some games and come back and win series and and those type of things too It makes for a fun environment I mean baseball is <laughs> It's a tough game. It's there's a lot of failure involved, and there's some standing around. And if you don't have a team full of guys that are invested in each other, sometimes it's just not that much fun. And our guys are they're they're invested in each other. They play hard. They play together. They play for the team. And uh, I, I'm proud of them for that. I, I think that's that's not always easy to come by. But um, we've I, I love the fire and intensity, and um, that's that's what I want our teams to hang their hats on.
2: We mentioned it a lot, that the, the wind was just screaming out yesterday to center into left field. You you started Mojo Haggy out in left. Was there a little bit of a comfort feeling for you to know that you had a really good defender out there in left field?
4: Certainly there. I mean, he's a, an elite left fielder. Um, he's been a little dinged up early in the year, uh, so we've kind of had to pick our spots with him. But he just again, he brings that grittiness, um, that that factor to the to the lineup as well that we're we're just wanting to have top to bottom um, in the lineup. And when he plays that type of game, he brings a different dynamic uh, to the team. He's a left-handed bat. Um, I think that was one thing that we saw uh, over the last two games as well. just having a couple of extra left-handed bats that are going for us with Roscombe and Chick. Uh, and then Mojo ignited us with that triple um, after they hit that the three-run homer. So he brings really good defense. Uh, he brings a grittiness when he's, I mean, he laid down a beautiful bunt. Uh, he's a guy that's just he's going to give you a quality veteran at bats. And when he's in that mindset where he's just going to go be a pest at the plate and make the pitcher earn everything he gets, now uh, he can definitely uh, help the team that way.
2: Luke Roscom caught two of your games. What do you what do you think of his play over the weekend?
4: Man, couldn't be prouder of Luke uh, and and the progress he's shown as a defensive catcher. Just in our short time being here, uh, he's really taken pride in the receiving of the low pitch and blocking and and just uh, being locked in on every pitch. Uh, he he really took that uh, this extra year uh, to just take his catching defensively to the next level. Uh, And we got that feedback from from his coaches from last summer, just how much his pitchers uh, love throwing to him. And and he's just really come a long way that way. He's obviously always had the cannon for an arm that's going to really try to shut down the opponent's running game. But um, just the way he's received and blocked this year, we've been able to keep him fresh. uh, we catching Everett as well. And and Griffin's done a tremendous job too. But, yeah, Luke, we, we just, again, we felt like, He'd given us some good at bats, even though he wasn't necessarily getting hits. He was taking his walks, and we, again, on a day like that where the wind is blowing out, if you can take your walks, mix in a single, or you know, and then you got a potential for a three-run homer. So he was one that was right in the middle of a lot of the scoring, and it was good to see him use the other side of the field too, because when he does that, he's a he's a really good hitter.
2: That's when he's usually going well. Is when he's going the opposite way. Homer the opposite way yesterday. That was a, a good. And he threw two guys out on the bases. He that was a beautiful throw he made to first base just to pick that. And that, at that point in the game, it was still very much in doubt. That was a big out to get to help the pitcher out.
4: Yeah, Luke is just uh, his play coverage. Um, when he when he's got it, he's really good. He can hit doubles and home runs the other way. He's strong. Uh, he's got he's got bat speed and and uh, you know when you do that you can be a run producer as well. You can that sets you up to to handle you know the changeup and the breaking ball. And he, his last at bat, I mean, he just smoked a, a slider to left field. and It wasn't wasn't out, but you know he's feeling good when he's doing that. But yeah, he he's a weapon back there with his arm. He's looking for ways to to go get outs with the arm as well, and he's just done a really good job of. Of, of commanding the defense back there behind home plate and also just his communication with the pitchers.
2: All right, that's going to put a wrap on tonight's show. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, and all of you for being a part of this one tonight. Enjoy the rest of the night the rest of the games. We're back here tomorrow night with another sports outlet, including our volleyball show with John Cook during hour number two. That'll do it. Good night.